With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight! Let's go! Championship football. Championship football. Trying to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go! Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. It is great to be back and one step closer to the start of the 2016 college football season does not get better than this. We're inching closer to a great week one of the season. I'm telling you, there's about 10 marquee games on tap. If you've listened to the show, you've heard Corey and I break them down. I've broken them down in depth, my unique analysis. But today we're going to be joined in about 10 minutes by a very special guest. He's part of the FWAA Board of Directors. He has one of the top publications, if not the top publication in college football Phil Steele will be joining us. I mean, his take and his analysis on the game, second to none, really respect his opinion. And we'll get Phil's take about what he feels about the top ten. He has an interesting preseason top ten, to say the least. His publication comes out in a couple of weeks. Nothing set in stone at this point. But he does have the Alabama Crimson Tide repeating preseason top number one, followed by runner-up Clemson. Oklahoma at number three, and then number four, Florida State, a prolific offense that will be led by Sean McGuire and Dalvin Cook and an elite wide receiver core. He has them at number four. Number five, LSU. Number six, Ohio State. Number seven, Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines. Number eight, David Shaw and the Stanford Cardinal. And then he has two I want to say fringe teams. He has the Tennessee Volunteers and Butch Jones hanging around at number nine. Can they get it done? Nine and four overall in the 2015 season last year. A lot of expectations on this volunteer team. Can they break through this year in 2016 and win the SEC East remains to be seen. And then the Notre Dame Fighting Irish hanging around to round out the top ten. Notre Dame. They have the schedule to possibly make a playoff appearance, but can that defense get better? And I'm going to ask Phil Steele about that because I do have some questions about some of the teams in this preseason top ten, one of those being LSU. I know they get Dave Aranda back. I know they have Leonard Fournette. But in my opinion, when you look at their losses last year, can they turn it around? There's some glaring holes along with Alabama. I mean, Alabama, you can't take away from what Nick Saban and Kirby Smart did last year. Now Kirby Smart moves on to be the new head coach at Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt is the new defensive coordinator there in Tuscaloosa. But Lane Kiffin, that offensive machine, continues to roll. 
third straight year now with a new starting quarterback. They lose their center, Ryan Kelly. They lose Jay Coker, Derrick Henry, and Kenyon Drake, which accounted for 30 of the team's 33 rushing touchdowns in 2015. Can they get it done again? They have one of the top defenses in college football when you look at it. Alabama last year, dominant. Second in terms of scoring defense, only 15 points per game behind Wisconsin. Number one in rush defense, allowing 75 rushing yards per game. They only gave up 200 yards through the year air, but they were a very opportunistic defense, to say the least, led by veteran safety Eddie Jackson. Minka Fitzpatrick comes back. You remember that game on the road in College Station, three interceptions, four returns for touchdowns that keyed that victory. They had some critical turnovers in the victory at Sanford Stadium. This was a team in 2015 in Alabama that was plus 10 in turnover margin, which was phenomenal when you look at the year before where they were minus two first year under Nick Saban and they were negative in turnover margin in the 2014 season so they did turn it around but how would that equate in the 2016 season one thing is certain though they led FBS last year with 53 total sacks that's a dominant defensive front seven led by Jonathan Allen he returns Tim Williams is back so they have some playmakers. Reuben Foster, again, seems to be picking off, picking up where Reggie Raglan left. And then Eddie Jackson and Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary. Make no mistake about it, Alabama is loaded. But are they the top team entering the 2016 season remains to be seen. And we'll get Phil, Phil Steele's take about the situation. Another team that I'm high on as well, and it all starts week number one. It's a critical matchup. It is Florida State. I think it is between Clemson and Florida State. I do have a sleeper that I think will come out of the ACC uh, that could possibly make some noise. But when you look at the top two teams in the ACC this year, you can't argue with Florida State and Clemson. Florida State last year, they, they were close. But they needed Sean McGuire or Everett Golson to take the next step. They didn't do that. I thought Sean McGuire was the better quarterback. If you watched him in the scheme last year, he's a pure pocket passer, but he knew where he wanted to go with the football, something that, in my opinion, Everett Golson struggled with last year. And that offensive line last year did allow 26 sacks. So if you're going to go with Sean McGuire, a, a pocket passer, that's a cause of concern if you're a Florida State fan. But when you look at the offense, I mean, they are loaded. This is an offense in 2015 that averaged 31 points per game. They rushed for 169 yards on the ground with Dalvin Cook and Jacques Patrick, and they also passed for 255 yards through the air. But you look at that wide receiver core, and I said it before, Travis Rudolph, Kermit Whitfield, and Jesus Wilson are the strength of that prolific offense when you look at it. All three of those players return. They combined for 174 receptions, 2,336 yards, and 16 receiving touchdowns. You look at what they're able to do in terms of the short to intermediate passing game, they can utilize Dalvin Cook out in the flat, match him up on nickelbacks or outside linebackers, which can create some mismatch problems. And Florida State can have a prolific offense just as dynamic as the Clemson Tigers. Clemson will be the top team in the ACC because of what they were able to do last year and the weapons that they have returning. Deshaun Watson completed 67% of his passes, 35 touchdowns, 4,104 yards, 
He also added 1,105 rushing yards, averaging 5.5 yards per carry and 12 rushing touchdowns. Martavis Scott is back. Renfro is back. Leggett is back. Mike Williams comes back from a neck injury suffered in the win versus Appalachian State. And this team is loaded. 11 straight games with over 500 yards of total offense. In 11 of the 15, they rushed for over 200 yards. And in 13 of the 15 games, Clemson completed 60% of the passes. The only two games that Clemson did not complete over 60% was in the home victory to Notre Dame, 47%, and in the playoff win to Oklahoma, 53%. So this is a prolific offense in 2016, led by a Heisman Trophy frontrunner in Deshaun Watson. So you have those two teams, one and two. But when you look at Florida State's matchup, week number one, Ole Miss poses a problem with Chad Kelly. You look at that Ole Miss secondary, though, in their three losses to Memphis, Arkansas, and Florida, they allowed 365 passing yards per game and touchdowns, and they only forced one interception in those three losses. So that's a cause of concern, and that's the, mis- that's the mismatch or the matchup that you want to see week number one, Florida State's wide receiver core going up against that Ole Miss secondary. But it's not an easy game, especially when you have a gunslinger like Chad Kelly and a a coach that really pulls out all the stops in Hugh Freeze. And a lot of pressure is on Hugh Freeze. We'll have to see what happens in the offseason with the NCAA allegations possibly, with Laramie Tunsil, with Robert Kambichi, what falls from that scenario, and how much pressure is on this team. But Ole Miss does have a murderous schedule, but they do pose a problem to Florida State early on. Week number one, the game is in Florida. It is played in the Citrus Bowl, so that will benefit the Florida State Seminoles. But those are the two teams, in my opinion, for the ACC right now, preseason. We have to see if any injuries take place, but we'll see how that plays out a little bit later. But the SEC, in my opinion, is up for grabs this year. It's not as clear-cut as a lot of people think, in my opinion. I went on Friday night and I talked about how I have Florida returning to the SEC championship game. Florida and my sleeper, Texas A&M, that's a team that I want to see how that plays out because I think Texas A&M is going to have the most dynamic offense in the West and possibly in the SEC this year, led by Trevor Knight. They have Keith Ford. But in the biggest turnaround, I think, is that defense led by Miles Garrett because this is a defense that overall only allowed 166 passing yards per game. And that's the thing, I think, when you look at that, that I like to see in a defense. They did give up around 213 rushing yards per game, but this is year number two of John Chavis' system. John Chavis loves to play man-to-man coverage. He likes to utilize blitz packages. He's going to be able to do that with Miles Garrett and Hall and those speedy linebackers playing man up. I think they can do it. I think they could cause a lot of problems defensively for opposing offenses. This was a team that was minus six in turnover margin in 2015. They can only build on that. And I think this is going to be a dangerous team entering SEC play. But more importantly, I can tell you this, Entering week number one at home against Josh Rosen, look out because, in my opinion, I think Texas A&M matches up very well against UCLA, and I think they're going to dominate that matchup at home in College Station. The pressure is on Kevin Sumlin, but I still feel that they have the pieces in place to make things happen this coming 
September, August, week number one, I think they get it done because I really feel that Texas A&M is the team to beat in the SEC West this year. We're waiting for Phil Steele to join us. I can't wait. We'll see what happens. We're waiting for him to come on the line. He's with us now. I want to welcome him in, one of the best minds in college football, Phil Steele. Phil, how are you today? Hey, real good. How about yourself, Joe? I'm doing well. I know your publication, we're about two weeks out. You just finished it, but I do want to go over your top ten. I saw that you put it out in late May. You have Alabama and Clemson, one and two overall. You have Oklahoma and Florida State. And then number five, you have LSU, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, Stanford, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. I mean, you can't argue about what Nick Saban has done and what Kirby Smart did last year before he moved on to – Georgia to become the new head coach. I mean, the one characteristic, I think, when I look at Alabama overall, and I want to get your take on it, they lose 30 of the team's 33 rushing touchdowns with the loss of Jay Coker, Kenyon Drake, and Derrick Henry. Bo Scarborough only had one rushing touchdown this year, last year, and they lose center Ryan Kelly. That aside, do you still feel they're the strongest team in the SEC and more importantly in the nation this year? Yeah, now the uh, top ten that we put out on the website, that's my projected AP top ten. So uh, that's my projection of where the AP uh, top ten will be when it comes to out at the start of September. We've had pretty good success with that. In the seven years we've been doing it, we've hit 66 of the 70 teams that actually landed in the AP top ten. Now my top ten, the one that's in the magazine, that won't be out till the magazine hits the newsstands on the 28th. But let's address the Alabama team. And I do think right now Alabama might just be the most talented team in the entire country. As you touched on, they lose a lot of rushing touchdowns, but I like Damian Harris. He's my number one rated running back coming out of high school. Last year he stepped in as a true freshman and got his feet wet a little bit. I think he'll have a much bigger year. And Bo Scarborough gives them the size of uh, of a Derrick Henry almost at the running back spot. They also had in B.J. Emmons, my number five rated running back coming out of high school. They're going to be running behind a veteran offensive line uh, with three returning starters up front, provided nothing happens with Cam Robinson. They've got an inexperienced quarterback, but let's face it, they've won three of their last four national titles with the first-year starting QB, and I love the receiving core. Calvin Ridley really came on in the second half of the season. O.J. Howard might be the best tight end in the country. To me, the three key players on Alabama were defensive end Jonathan Allen, middle linebacker Reuben Foster, and cornerback Eddie Jackson. All three of these guys opted to turn down the NFL and return for their senior seasons, and that makes Alabama the best defense in the country for a second straight year. So give me the best defense in the country and a solid offense, which I think they will be. Saban does a good job developing them. And, yes, I think Alabama is a legitimate title contender this year, despite the fact they have to play road games against uh, LSU, Tennessee, and Ole Miss this year. Uh, I'm not going to bat an eye on this one. And remember last year, I think somebody came out at the start of the year and said, oh, Alabama's going to lose five games this year. Well, that didn't happen. I don't think you're going to see it happen this year. I think they're a legitimate title contender. Yeah, well, that was me, and I I owned up to it. They really impressed me last year. I really thought that they did an excellent job. And the way Jay Coker really came down the stretch, he completed 60% of his passes in the last five games, nine touchdowns, no interceptions. You mentioned that defense, the way they stepped up, they were opportunistic. They led FBS in sacks with 53, number one in rush defense, 75 total yards per game, and second in scoring defense with 15 points per game. Can't argue that. The one question mark would be, 
do we see a hiccup in terms of the quarterback position? We haven't seen it yet, but they are human. This is the third straight year that they'll be starting with a new quarterback. We'll see how Lane Kiffin has done it. a great job in Tuscaloosa. But I want to touch on Ole Miss for a second. I mean, a lot of pressure on Ole Miss this year. And more importantly, when you look at their schedule, I feel they have one of the toughest schedules in college football They have a gunslinger in Chad Kelly. I mean, completed 65% of his passes, 31 touchdowns, 4,042 yards. He also added 10 rushing touchdowns in 2015. How big of the losses of Treadwell and Jalen Walton to that offense will that be and the Kandici brothers to that defense last year? Yeah, they lose four of their top five tacklers on defense, which hurts them a little bit. But I like the talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball. You look at a defensive end like Marquise Haynes, he's a potential first-round draft pick this year. Linebacker Tony Connor playing in that Husky position. Fadul Brown up at the front, on the front. And then Kadarius Webster and Tony Bridges are one of the better cornerback combos in the country. So they're still going to be solid on the defensive side of the ball. And Chad Kelly might just have the strongest arm in college football. And he comes returns this year. They've got a good amount of backs. Yes, they lose Jalen Walton, but I think when you looked at their backs, they had five really good running backs last year, and the majority of them return. I, th- I think a Jordan Wilkins or an Akeem Judd going to step up and have a big year. Could even top Jalen Walton's numbers. You look at the receiving core. Evan Ingram's one of the top receivers or tight ends in the country. Uh, Quinson Adebojo and, and Stringfellow and Pack, they got a good receiving core. My biggest question mark might be that offensive line. The offensive line. A uh, little light experience. They lose some big-time talent. Remember the difference in their offensive line when they had a healthy uh, Laramie Tunsil at the end of the year versus when he was suspended at the start of the year is a big difference in the O-line. He's gone now as are uh, three or four of the starters. So if the offensive line comes together, they should play better. But you hit it right on the head. They have my second toughest schedule in the country. Not only are they playing in the West and playing teams like Alabama, LSU, and all the others, but out of the East, they're drawing a team like Georgia uh, this year. And then on the non-conference slate, playing a team like Florida State. And uh, I read it the second toughest schedule in the country. Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult. On top of what comes down from the NCAA with the Laramie Tunsil and Kandichi situation, I think it's going to be a tough year. And it starts week number one against a prolific offense in Sean McGuire and Florida State. We have to see if he wins the job, but I still feel Sean McGuire will win that job. But you look at that matchup week number one, I mean, Florida State could have possibly, in my opinion, one of the top receiving cores in the nation, Travis Rudolph, Kermit Whitfield, Jesus Wilson, those players combined for 174 receptions, 2,336 yards, 16 receiving touchdowns. You throw Dalvin Cook and Jock Patrick into the mix. This could be a dynamic offense, and defensively they are solid. I mean, I think they're going to be right there in the mix, and possibly it all starts week number one against Ole Miss. Your thoughts about Florida State overall? Uh, very high on Florida State this year. And, you know, the old Miss game, the advantage Florida State has is that game's in Orlando. Florida State held their spring game in Orlando, so they got a little walk through the stadium and the surroundings. I think that's going to help them a little bit. And, as you mentioned, the, sanction, the possible looming sanctions against Ole Miss, you wonder what effect that will have on the program, if any. But uh, Florida State's got 11 returning starters on offense. I personally think the starting quarterback is going to be DeAndre Francois this year. I think he steps in there. Uh, he's got the unique running ability. He's got the arm strength. 
and he really became a, a team leader in the spring. And, you know, the thing about a redshirt freshman quarterback with this Florida State offense is he's got a veteran cast around him. You touched on the receiving core, which is one of the best in the country. Dalvin Cook, one of the best running backs in the country. The offensive line has got a redshirt freshman and true freshman class coming in. Those guys have the potential to steal some jobs. But last year's offensive line, very inexperienced. Uh, this year they've got 74 career starts back. And keep in mind, last year's Florida State team, in my experience chart uh, in the magazine, ranked number 128 in the country experience-wise. Yet, they were very close to playing for the national title game. Remember the game against Clemson? They got stopped on that fourth and one in the fourth quarter. Might have had a chance to pull that one out. Uh, when I look at Florida State this year, a much more veteran squad. 17 returning starters. They move up into the top 50 experience-wise. They only lose 15 lettermen. I think they're a legitimate national title contender, and I'm really looking forward to October the 29th when Florida State hosts Clemson. That game has got national title implications. It does. I agree with you. Um, one team when I look at a lot of people high on, I can't take away from the talent, but LSU, I see significant glaring weaknesses from last year that I feel like a lot of people aren't concentrating on. This was a team that averaged 32 points per game last year. They were a run-heavy offense with Leonard Fournette. They averaged 257 yards on the ground. But in those three losses last year to Bama, Ole Miss, and Arkansas, they only averaged 99 rushing yards per game, and Fournette only averaged 76 rushing yards in those losses and only two touchdowns. And more importantly, they were outscored 55-24 to 24 in the first half of those games. And then I look at the defense, Phil. They allowed 24 points per game, which was their highest total since 08. They allowed 224 passing yards per game, which was their highest total since prior to the 2008 season. And in those three losses defensively, they allowed 233 rushing yards per game and nine rushing touchdowns. I know that they get Dave Aranda from Wisconsin, who led that team to a number one scoring defense and fourth overall in rushing defense in Wisconsin, but it's going to take a while for them to get acclimated. And again, when you look at the deficiencies of Brandon Harris overall, completed 53% of his passes in 2015, I'm not so sure LSU is a top 10 team at this point in the season. Do you feel that way? I like LSU as well. Uh, I, I think they're a team, when you look at the quarterback play, that's the key issue to me. Brandon Harris is now in his third year as a starter. And you look at the guy, he's got all the tools. He's got the arm strength. He's got the mobility. And this will be his third year reading defenses. Now, if he goes out and completes 53% of his passes again, yes, LSU's offense is going to struggle because teams are going to be able to stack the box, bring an extra linebacker in there to slow down Leonard Fournette. But with the receiving core, he's got both Traven Durrell and Malachi Dupree, your first-round draft picks or potential first or second round draft picks next year. They've got an outstanding receiving core. The offensive line's a veteran group. You touched on Aranda coming in. I think that's going to be a big difference. Aranda has, uh, if you look at Wisconsin statistically the last three years, probably the best defense statistically in that span. And he's never had athletes like he has here at LSU. And he's got nine returning starters this year on the defensive side. I remember last year injuries hurt him a little bit on the defense. Uh, this year they've got Tredavious White back at cornerback. He's one of the top cornerbacks for next year's draft. The linebacking core with guys like Arden Key and Kendall Beckwith, they're decent in coverage and can get after the quarterback. Up front they've got some good size. 
uh, with Davon Godchuk at the in the middle, Lewis Neal and Christian LeCouture at the uh, defensive line spot. So I think this is a deep defense, one that's going to thrive under Aranda. And they get, you talk about big games this year, and we talked about Florida State and Clemson. How about Alabama-LSU on November the 5th? That one bodes as a huge game. Both teams off a bye, and that seems like we say that every year, though, isn't it, Joe? It is. It's incredible. Blue-collar football. I mean, if you love defense and you love hard-hitting, that's what LSU-Alabama is year in and year out. I want to give you my, my sleeper in the SEC this year. I love Texas A&M. I know they were 8-5 and five overall last year. They struggled. They had some quarterback issues. But I think this could be one of the most prolific offenses with Trevor Knight and Keith Ford transferring from Oklahoma. And defensively, when I look at your number two and John Chavis, they only allowed 166 passing yards per game. They have whole and Miles Garrett. Uh, you know John Chavis loves to play man-to-man and blitz, and they were minus six in turnover margin in 2015. If you watch that Alabama game, they were close. They had an opportunity down 28-20 to 20 in College Station to possibly pull closer. I like the way they played last year, and I think they have the schedule to possibly be a playoff team. I'm calling for it. I want to get your thoughts about A&M this year. Uh, you know, I can see it for Texas A&M. I didn't call for it in the magazine. I did not put them up there in the top two of the West. But I can see what you're looking at here, Joe. Now, you talked about the Alabama game. That was a game where A&M gave up, I think it was three interception return touchdowns. Usually it's tough to overcome one of those during the course of a game, but to give up that many in one game is tough. Now, the quarterback play is going to be big. Trevor Knight, I thought last year when he came in uh, for Oklahoma, it was a big step down from Baker Mayfield. But we also saw the good Trevor Knight when they took on Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and Knight's got the athleticism, he's got the arm strength, uh, and he's playing in an offense that's built for the quarterback. As you touch on Keith Ford coming in from Oklahoma, that's a nice uh, mix there at the running back spot, teamed with uh, guys like James White and Travion Williams. Receiving course, one of the best in the country. Christian Kirk, last year just a true freshman, uh, had over 1,000 yards. Speedy Knoll, who, uh, you know, he's named that way for a reason, Josh Reynolds, and then Ricky Seals-Jones. They are loaded at the receiving spot. They've got perhaps the best defensive end combo in the country. The two guys you mentioned, Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall, and I like the secondary as well. The schedule's not easy. I play my seventh most difficult schedule in the country. They're going to have to go to places like Mississippi State, Alabama, Auburn. But uh, they do get Arkansas at a neutral site. They only have three SEC home games this year. But it's a team that I wouldn't want to play. In fact, the games I do have Texas A&M an underdog this year, most of them are close, like within a touchdown. The only one I've got in the, the double digits is at Alabama. So if they can go in there, and we saw they could win at Alabama a few years back, uh, they could be that surprise team out there. We'll see how it plays out. Notre Dame, I mean, schedule-wise, it's all going to be dependent on that defense. I mean, they gave up 24 points per game. They allowed 175 rushing yards per game. But in those three losses to Clemson, Stanford, and Ohio State, they got ripped for 216 yards on the ground. And then turnover margin, minus six overall, minus nine on the road. They only had nine interceptions, which was their lowest total since 2011. Do you feel they can turn it around? I mean, is it due to the quarterback play? I mean, I feel they have a, a weaker schedule than most teams. I think they can run the table. They can possibly be there in the end. Your thoughts about Notre Dame and Brian Kelly? Yeah, and look at last year with Notre Dame. You know, they entered the season uh, coming out of the spring. They thought they had their quarterback. Uh, then one of them transfers. The other one gets injured in the first game of the season. They were not expecting to play 
uh, Deshaun Kaiser, the freshman QB all season long. They lose their top two running backs last year. They lost a top defensive lineman last year. Uh, in the in the summer, they lost them. Didn't even play last year. Uh, and they, they, lo- they had some other key injuries during the course of the season. Very few players started all 13 games yet. You get to the end of the season, they're playing Stanford, and they're in the mix. They're number four in the country. Uh, if they go and beat Stanford on the road, they would have been in the playoff mix last year to potentially get there, and that was with a very banged-up team that lost all the key players that you couldn't, you'd think that they couldn't afford to lose. Now, this year they do only have nine returning starters, so it's one of the lower returning starters out there, but I think they've got two outstanding quarterbacks in Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire. Both those guys can get it done. At running back, you're looking at Josh Adams, uh, Terry and Folston, Dexter Williams are loaded there. Receiving core is a little light. Uh, concern there because they're losing Will Fuller, they're losing Chris Brown, they may lose Corey Robinson. It's not known if he's going to come back or not. But the rest of the team is very solid. And you touched on the schedule. Number 22 in the country, that's uh, manageable for Notre Dame. And you look at their road games. They only have three true uh, road games this year, Texas on the road, NC State on the road, and USC on the road. None of those are in the non-winnable category. In fact, they could very well end up being favored in all three, depending what's happening at USC this year. They've got some neutral site games. The rest of the games are at home. Michigan State looks to be in a rebuilding year. I can make a case where Notre Dame is going to be favored in 11 of their games games this season uh, with the exception of maybe that USC game and uh, you know we'll see what happens at the end of the year but I do think Notre Dame is a title contender I think they're there too I I agree with you I mean I looked at their schedule they look to be favored in a majority of their games you mentioned USC a lot of people high on Josh Rosen and UCLA I don't see it defensively those losses of Miles Jack and, and Kenny Clark are big. This was a defense that allowed 199 rushing yards per game in 2015. Out of both of those teams, USC and UCLA, which team, in your opinion, has a better year this year? Uh, talent-wise, I, I'd give a slight edge to USC. Schedule-wise, i give a clear edge to UCLA. UCLA's got a much more manageable schedule. USC plays the toughest schedule in the country this year. Not only do they play the teams in the Pac-12 South, But out of the north, they draw the three top teams. They draw Oregon, Washington, and Stanford, and have to play two of them on the road. Then look at their non-conference slate. Not only are they playing nine tough Pac-12 games this year, they're drawing Alabama first game of the season. They're finishing up with Notre Dame, a couple of top ten teams. And then Utah State. And, you know, if you follow Matt Wells, you know he's doing an incredible job at Utah State. Where's your soft spot on the schedule? There is none. They play the toughest schedule in the country. When I talked to Coach Helton uh, this spring, I do like the talent they have. The biggest question mark I have with USC is going to be the defensive line. All four starters gone from the D-line. They've got talent coming in there, and if that D-line can come around quickly, uh, they should do well. I think, and you're looking for a sleeper here, Joe, watch the quarterback at USC and Max Brown. I think nobody's talking about him. He's a potential first-round draft pick. If he can come in, throw for 3,500 yards, you're looking at a kid that's 6'5", 220, he's got the arm strength. Keep your eyes on Max Brown this year. But when I look at UCLA, one of the reasons their defense performed so poorly last year is on the UCLA team pages. Uh, when I when I have my uh, individual book, during, for a star player, I put a star and a circle around them. Well, UCLA had three of those star circle players on defense, and by the time it was a couple weeks into the season, all three were gone. They lost their top cornerback. They lost their inside linebacker, Miles Jack, and then Eddie Vanderdose gone for the season with an injury early. Well, they get Vanderdose back. 
Uh, I think they're going to have better talent on the defensive side of the ball. And the, the defense is going to show much improved numbers this year because the offense is going to slow it down a little bit. They're going out of the spread more to a pro-style attack. They're going to put more of the offense on Josh Rosen, have him taking some snaps from center. He's got talent to work with. You look at the backfield, yes, Paul Perkins is gone. But I like Soso Jamambo. I like Nathan Starks. And at the receiving core, they move Ishmael Adams from cornerback uh, to re- wide receiver. I think he could a potential game-breaker. They've got some talent there at the receiver spot. Now, schedule-wise, they don't play anywhere near the schedule USC does. They take on my number 35-rated schedule in the country. They get Stanford at home, but they avoid Oregon. They avoid Washington. So a much better schedule for the Bruins. Plus, they get that key game in Los Angeles, November 19th, at home. That makes me think UCLA's got a good chance to win the South. Great points. The one question mark with USC, I would say offensive line. I know they were banged up 38 total sacks allowed last year. They're going to need a better effort, especially week number one against Alabama. They led FBS with 53 total sacks. And having lost a week one game since 2001, Phil, 22 points per game they won. The last loss it was a no one to UCLA and Corey Pouts and Skip Hicks. The last question I want to ask you is Big Ten. Everybody's talking and everybody's talking Ohio State. I don't want to go there. I want to go to Wisconsin. Because I think that this is a down year for Wisconsin. I look at their schedule, LSU, Akron, Georgia State, Michigan State, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Nebraska, first eight games of the year. Those are all bowl teams. I think this is a down year for Wisconsin. I look at their rushing offense last year, 150 total yards compared to the last two years. In 2014, it was 320. In 2013, it was 283. And in their three losses to Bama, Northwestern, and Iowa, they only averaged 33 rushing yards per game. Uh, you look at that passing offense, I know they had Joel Stave, but he's gone. Paul Chris is a great offensive mind, but, again, it's falling on Bart Houston. When you have an insufficient offensive line and, more importantly, can't run the football effectively, I don't think they can pull out six wins on the schedule. Your thoughts about that? Well, when I looked at Wisconsin uh, last year at the running game, you remember Corey Clement, their star running back, got injured in the first game of the season against Alabama and then missed a good portion of the year. When he came back, he wasn't quite Corey Clement. He only averaged 4.6 yards per game, per carry, I should say. The offensive line underachieved last year. With Wisconsin, it's an automatic. One starter, two starters, three starters, doesn't matter. They always have that dominating offensive line, but they weren't last season. Now, this year they're going to have improved running game with Michael Dieter back at center, Dan Volts at left guard, and getting Corey Clement back is huge. Those running backs they were using last year were inexperienced, and nobody was a big-time recruit coming out. I think this year they've got more talent, much more experience at the running back core. I think Bart Houston will do okay at the quarterback. But the biggest difference between Wisconsin this year and last year is what you touched on a little bit earlier, the schedule. Wisconsin last year actually took on my number 81-rated schedule. They avoided all the big boys out of the Big Ten East. Well, this year they play all the big boys out of the Big Ten East. In fact, their increase in schedule moves up to number nine in the country, and it is grueling, the games you just touched on. I mean, opening up with LSU and Green Bay, where LSU has the hidden advantage having Dave Aranda as their defensive coordinator. He knows the personnel of Wisconsin inside and out. That's a nice little scouting advantage to have. And then those games, 
at Michigan State, at Michigan and Ohio State, three games in four weeks against the top three teams out of the East, three teams they've managed to avoid the last couple of years they now have to play, then to go into Iowa, host Nebraska, play Northwestern on the road. It is a schedule that uh, I think you're going to see the most losses for Wisconsin probably since 2012 when they dropped six games. Highly unusual, but that schedule is a lot tougher this year. Phil, always a pleasure. Great insight. I love the information. I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me today. I mean, best publication in college football, hands down. Phil Steele, thanks for joining me today. Hey, can I tell the listeners out there, Joe, how to get it, to get a hold of the magazine this year? Sure. Tell them. Go ahead. I right, appreciate it. Well, the magazine is 356 pages, and it hits the newsstand on June the 28th. I guarantee you, just go to the newsstand, open up a copy. You'll see it's got three to four times the amount of information any other college football preview. I give you two full pages on Akron, same amount of information we give you on a team like Oklahoma or USC. Now, if you can't wait till the 28th, and most college football fans can't, you can order it through our offices right now at 866-918-7711. That's 866-918-7711. The truck's going to be backing in any day now. We'll be shipping them out in the mail. You'll get them 10 days before they hit the newsstands. Or... If you're into the modern stuff, you want to download it to your phone or your iPad or your Android device, you can go on to iPad or iPhone right now and get it at the Apple Store or go to your Android device and download it on Google Play, and you can get it right now. So there's three different ways to get the magazine, but I guarantee if you get it, it's a magazine you're going to be using in August, September, October, November, and even December. Phil, always a pleasure. And you mentioned Akron. That's my good friend Terry Bowden from our days at ABC, a fantastic job he did. I can tell you he, he's a big fan of yours and love the publication. And thanks for joining me. If you love college football, pick up Phil Steele's publication. You heard it here first at GoForTheTwo.com. Sounds great, Joe. Always enjoy our conversations. Thanks, Phil. That was Phil Steele with great information on the top 25. You heard his take about – Florida State, you heard his take about Alabama, Clemson, you heard his take about LSU, Notre Dame. We didn't touch on some of the others like Tennessee and Auburn. I have strong feelings about that. You heard him mention the Pac-12 with USC and UCLA. I mean, just great, great information. He's got a great publication in depth. He goes three deep. It doesn't get better than this if you're a college football fan. We're just touching the surface. We're going to get more in-depth about these games as we get in later in the summer. We're just touching the surface. Stay with me all season long at GoForTheTwo.com. Have a great week, everyone. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.